Listen in Fridays to the new feature Times Like This on Aro City Radio in partnership with Luxembourg Times. Good morning, Dowie. Hey, Lisa. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, good. Fine. Thank you. Back in the game. Yeah. Um, got a few few stories that I want to discuss, see what, you, see what you're thinking on them. Um, first one, there was an article about the government. Obviously, there's been research done, one of these surveys done. Government not as popular as it was a few months ago. No, Are we right. surprised by that or not surprised by that? Uh, surprised. It's not surprising. No, of course not. Because yes, uh, no. the, the corona crisis is uh, just marching ahead. The virus is marching ahead. But now it's 780, 800 uh, new infections every day. Mm. That's become the new normal. Uh, it's not accelerating any further, you know. We uh, there were some scientists who said a while back that the uh, daily infection rate may may uh, reach 1,300 mm-hmm. around this time, and that hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. So I guess there are some signs. Also, the, the hospitals and the, the pe- number of people in hospitals is not rising any further anymore at the moment. Right. So the change. hospitals are coping, which I think is what well, they, they're, they're just now looking about at. coping. I think yeah. Leonard said uh, last week already. The, the health minister Paulette Leonard said uh, the hospitals are at their absolute limit. Uh, so there are some signs uh, that maybe, maybe we're at the peak of the uh-huh. second wave now. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, it's not good, and uh, and it, it it's not a surprise that uh, that the po- the government is not doing so well in the polls anymore. Uh, one third of the interviewees said that Bettel was doing a bad job, and at the beginning of the crisis, so that's back in March and April, nine out of ten people gave the government a good mark. Mm. And was it the, was the survey the same source? The, the, yeah, the, it's the, a it's a survey. <laughs> it's the Polit Monitor uh, mm-hmm. survey, which I think mm-hmm. I think is done regularly. So it's the same people who uh, who uh, back then were optimistic, and I think mm-hmm. uh, there was. I think also the, the the mood was different in March and April. I think it was everybody in it together. Everybody we're in it together. We're just down. Yeah, mm-hmm. And now all you mm-hmm. hear is like, I want to go back, uh, mm. to, you know, and go, go out again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think people just getting fed up and the frus- frustrations have got to be, you know, directed at somebody. And I guess the, the, the government's the most obvious, uh, the uh, most obvious ones. Yes. Do you think, I mean, the one thing that I think is is, is really quite strange is people coming across the border to, to shop and eat. When we've got Belgian, Belgium lockdown, we've got France lockdown completely, and people, obviously our borders need to stay open as part of the philosophy and, and the ethos of who what Luxembourg is. But I mean, yeah, that's, that's, last that's weekend was quite crazy. You know, the number of people... Help. That, it's common that, sense that, that, that this absolutely. is a bad idea. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I can understand why they, uh, the government is hesitant to, uh, to introduce new measures. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a liberal government. They don't want to interfere. They want people to be responsible themselves. Also, it's not as easy as it used to be anymore because there's no state of emergency. But you rightly point to that. And I think that's one of the first things I would put an end to because... Uh, mm. Basically, that means you're importing COVID from other countries. Yeah, that's and, just uh, the one thing. Well, there's but a reason that those countries are in a tougher lockdown than we are. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, of course, it's common sense. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, I think it's interesting to see how different nations react as well, how different per- people react. It is uh, very interesting. So, and uh, it's interesting to see that there is no common European approach as yeah, well. So that might change. Nothing uh, come for. The other thing. The, yeah, sorry. Well, well, the other thing is, of course, uh, schools. And, yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Yeah. The other story that hit this week was basically Mersh. Uh, Claude Maish had a, a coming out yesterday press conference about press the situation conference in schools to reassure parents and uh, and pupils and teachers that uh, that schools are a safe place for corona. He said that um, 
only 12% of infections in schools are, uh, uh, in the country take place uh, are in people in schools, so from teachers or pupils or, or other staff. And, uh, and he said that's a low number because one in five people actually work in schools or attend schools. Right. Uh, so it's lower than you would expect. I'm not sure I buy that. Well, number. I was just going to say, do you believe that? I mean, that's. What I was I'm just going to like not, what? Seriously? Uh, I mean, so you can turn numbers. The way you twelve like. percent is is good. It, I think it's not good. It's too high. Yeah. And if you can do again, if you can use common sense measures, of course, we want kids to have education. And uh, also, we thought that the the numbers that he presented were quite weak. He was also scolded, I think, a week back by the head of the statistics agency who said, I haven't seen the data, I think, I, I, he said, uh, Mr. Allegretza, I think, he said, I think they're sitting on a wealth of data and uh, I'm not sure that they, uh, that they know how to handle it because they're not professional statisticians. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's quite some pressure there. And we've heard from a lot of schools, uh, teachers' unions, and of course parents as well, that they feel, uh, feel uh, left alone and that the rules aren't always clear and that they're basically worried that uh, I mean, there was a strange, <clears throat> a strange one that I read, like one kid being infected in the class, the whole class does not have to quarantine, but two kids being infected in the class, then they do have, the whole class does have to quarantine. It's just like, and I think the other thing that's pre- proven frustrating and difficult for people in these situations where a kid has tested positive in the class, it's becoming more difficult to get appointments for tests you mm. know the the obviously they're strapped a little bit and I, I do think it makes sense that you have to wait and get the test on the sixth day um after being in contact with somebody that's positive that I think makes a lot sense of it is, than... uh, is, is good communication as well if you if you if you're there for the schools and you know and you can answer their questions and mm-hmm. maybe that's that's what people feel as well yes so, it's missing uh, do you think this will make any difference with the mobile units they're moving mobile units to schools and and I think that's a good measure. Yeah, testing I think there. Make... Now, the, uh, one question was why... So the, vol- is, the testing is still voluntary. Is that, again, because we have a Liberal government and they just do not want to enforce that kind of thing? The testing is voluntary... Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, you mean you don't have to go when you to when go. you get a letter? No, or nor in the ki- like in the kids' case where um, they were I trying to. I think that's a, a pretty basic medical right. Eh? If you don't want to, uh, don't want to test you. Don't. If you don't, it's your body. So. Okay. I don't know. I haven't thought of that. No, I just wondered because, I mean, if it's a situation where there's kids in the class quarantining, uh, have tested positive, surely it would make sense to have the whole class test. And yet that's still a voluntary measure. Well, then surely they need to be in quarantine for 14 days. I would think so, yes. Then if you don't want to test, you definitely need to quarantine, right? Yes, exactly. I think so too. Anyway. All right. So the good news is the vaccine is on its way yes. in, uh, in minus 90 degrees uh, fridges because it needs to be kept at a really ridiculously low, L- low temperature, temperature, which is not easy. It make, doesn't make it easier to transport. And uh, we had the story out of Cargo Lux is now preparing planes with, uh, with deep freezes in them so that they can... Uh, oh, that's interesting. Once it gets approved, this vaccine, uh, they, they, can, uh, they can bring it all, uh, all, across, all, all across the world. So... It's not, go- it's not going to make it easier for countries such as India and countries in Africa to, to, to get. No. I've got, I've got actually got a question on that as well. So the vaccines are supposed to be distributed equally in the EU, right? That's that's what I've read. Yes. Relative to the population. That's right. So yesterday, I did, this was one. I think it was in Tagablatt. I read this yesterday. So Luxembourg are going to get four hundred. I've bought four hundred thousand. Germany's bought a um, hundred million. Um, but Germany is 81 million people. We've got 600,000. So the question is, who's not going to be treated? You know, I mean, if we've bought 400,000 
Is it assuming some people don't? Uh, want I don't know. To I think or? you you would um, you would um, assume that they start rolling it out gradually anyway, right? And then, and then uh, the rest comes and then, in, you know, because it's 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 nurses and doctors who get it first, first. hopefully, mm-hmm. and then it's old people, and then they work their way down, and then it, it's going to take a year before everybody's inf- infected uh, a- anyway. Right, inject, uh, uh, in, yeah. Uh, yeah, injected, in, yes, <laughs> from not infected, yeah. Um, uh, so and uh, so I guess uh, then uh, it's a work in progress. It's a work in progress, and then you'll see that the uh, already when you do that, the virus should become less uh, less prevalent, virulent. Uh, okay, right. Well, enough of the bad news. On to the other bad news. <laughs> <laughs> Tell um, me which bad news topic you want to pick. No, well, so Luxembourg's in uh, in well, the Panama Papers are back in the news, basically. They were, and it was uh, a, a, almost uh, a story was turned upside down because now the Luxembourg government wants to go after the people who were mentioned in the Panama Papers, lawyers here in Luxembourg, and they want to know what they were doing. Okay. And a court has said, no, you can't do that, government. Because um, you're not, it's not part of the arguments they used. They said it's not part of an investigative procedure. Okay. You just, it's just basically just a fishing expedition. And uh, also, there is no evidence that there was tax evasion because you don't know who the clients were that these lawyers were working for. Right. So, interestingly enough, now uh, the Panama Papers, as you know, was a big journalistic yeah. dump of documents mm-hmm. which uh, brought to light how these how these offshore vehicles work that uh, that uh, also uh, often uh, are routed through uh, Luxembourg. Big scandal. You mm. wouldn't... And, and Luxembourg actually went after this quite aggressively this time. And now a local court is saying, no, you can't do it because uh, you, uh, you need better safeguards before you do that. So have any of those safeguards been put in place in the meantime? I mean, well, I know some have been, but is there enough? Has enough been done? Well, the government said they would appeal the court case, so I think they'll, they're going to think about how they can get access to those documents. And I think they, it's clear that uh, Pierre Gramagnard, the finance minister, wants to be perceived as as going after this aggressively. Also, of course, because uh, the country that is looks uh, good. internationally mm-hmm. that looks good, and the country is up for a uh, re-rating of uh, how it is fighting and uh, uh, money laundering from an international body. Mm-hmm. So I think. Uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't want to be perceived as weak there. And right. They'll appeal the court case and then we'll see what comes out of it. Right. It's so been an interesting one to follow, I think. Yeah, good stuff. Also, uh, another repeating story was uh, Google this week. Right. Uh, and I think uh, that's now actually coming to an end because, you know, Google, uh, there was a court case. Nobody knows how much water the site in Bissen. They want to build this big data warehouse mm-hmm. in Bissen. Nobody knows. They haven't said how much water that site is going to use, how much electricity is going to use. Uh, people said, well, if you can't tell us that, how can we decide whether we will allow you to do that? Um, but Google said it's a commercial secret. If others know how much electricity we use, they can sort of suss out our business. Which I think is a bit of a stretched argument, but uh, yeah, and the environmental movement have taken—they're still fighting it. They because there's a document that that was drawn up between the government and Google, and it's a secret document. Nobody has seen it. Only a few parliamentarians have seen it, but right. they had to uh, promise that they wouldn't talk about it. Uh-huh. Uh, some of them said, "I don't think that this was commercially sensitive information, though." So. Uh, and then the movement. They also, they all, yeah. Sorry, no. They also, the other thing that I read about the politicians was they said, "Well, we saw the documents, but we're not experts, so it meant nothing to us." Yeah, you know, it's not, a, it's point. not an area no, that we're exactly. 
And uh, so the Mouvement Ecologique went to court and they, they said, we want to see the document. And the judge said, no, you can't see it because this is not an administrative document. It's a commercial document. Again, right. a distinction where I think like, no, it's also an administrative document right. because it's, it contains uh, government proceedings. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, they, uh, the, uh, they were able to hide behind that uh, opacity. And uh, it's, uh, of course, a disappointment for the Greens. And um, they actually, they said, well, regardless of, of uh, you know, whether this is an administrative document or not, we think the government should just be open about these things. And, uh, and I think they're right on that. Mm-hmm. But so that there, there may be more to come on that, or do you they think will it appeal? Is? But uh, the, the local council has now mm-hmm. approved the mm-hmm. uh, the site, and uh, and the government is very much in favour of it. So I think it's going to go ahead yeah. now. And then Google has to decide whether to actually build the the, the site or not, because they haven't said that they uh, they they haven't made that decision yet. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another story in here about the. Um, the commission that indicates the EU financial integration isn't working the way that, that yeah, was hoped. really quick. That's uh, so. In five years ago, the Commission said if you look at how easy it is to invest uh, in other countries, let's say you're a German investor and you want to invest in a local small company in Italy, uh-huh. how are you going to do that? It's not easy in Europe. That's much better in America. It's easier because all yeah. the rules are more similar and it's really one country. But if you're a German investor. You don't know what the bankruptcy laws are in Italy. You don't know what maybe the corporate tax laws are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and that's why there's very little direct capital flows from between countries in Europe. Right. Basically, we have one European Union, but it's still 27 small capital markets. So they were trying to improve on that. They were trying to the improve le- on that. Right. And they had, and they, in typical Brussels fashion, they made it a big project. They called it Capital Markets Union, you know. Right. And, uh, and that and was to remove these barriers yeah, of investment. To, to, to harmonize all the laws. So that you have one bankruptcy right. law across Europe, one corporate tax law, and so on and so forth. It was a big project. And now there's uh, been a report the, that says uh, it hasn't worked. Court of Auditors has looked into this and said, well, basically, it's been a flop. Okay, and, uh, but that hasn't stopped. I mean, they're going to continue on. They're going to just continue re- doing this. Right. Although I think with Brexit remains to be seen uh, how, because it was. I think it was also very much the UK who were pushing for this. Oh, interesting. All right. Okay. And uh, but um, it is. Uh, it was interesting to see how outspoken the Court of Orders was about this. It's they're a good body to follow. They often are very critical of, uh, of, of, of everything that happens in. Uh, in, uh, in, in the EU, EU so, trying to move yeah. things forward. Yes. Interesting. I've got one more, probably one time for one more story that I wanted to ask you about. It's the one about e- the EIB. Um, ah, yes. So the European Investment Bank failed to uphold its own commitments to human rights and protection and vi- protecting the environment. Um, and, yeah. I, and again, it was it was an NGO that sort of brought this critical it was an NGO, though I have to say... It was funded never, by the European Commission. It was funded in part by the European Commission, mm. so I never really understand how these things work. Because you have one... Basically, you have one European institution and then another in, a European institution who's... I mean, the, the Court of Auditors, that's their role to be critical. Right. The Commission, it's not their role to be critical right. of another EU institution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know, I want to look into quite how that works but this NGO was quite critical of the EIB they said they weren't looking at human rights particularly also indigenous rights of people in uh, local communities in Nepal 
mm-hmm. uh, Bosnia Herzegovina and uh, and Georgia. They had examples. It was uh, an interesting article, just from that perspective. To be perfectly yeah. honest, just to see the projects. And yeah, well, that's that's true. They so were all over the world in yeah. Nepal, you know, and this is exactly. this bank based here in Luxembourg. There was um, Bosnia building a motorway in Bosnia. Yeah. Then there was a hydroelectric dam in Georgia. Um, then Nepal, the the projects there. So I mean, that in itself was an interesting read. Well, yeah, it's part of the Euro- of Europe's foreign policy. Bosnia, I can understand because that's in Europe. Yeah. Uh, Georgia, is yeah. it Georgia in Europe? Yes, I think it is. Uh, so I can understand that sort of neighborhood policy. Nepal, you know, I don't know. Uh, I don't think that. I don't think that is. I don't think they stick to Europe because. No, they don't. They, so, they work all over the world. But, my, but so the the interesting thing, like just thinking about how the EIB. I mean, it'd be interesting to find out how do they actually do due diligence on a project. Is um, is it just? Well, they, they said that they have very strict uh, due diligence procedures, and, uh, and and they had a they had a they were given a chance to uh, to uh, to react to the report in the report. So there's actually a, a reaction by the EIB in the report, and okay. they and they said that uh, that the report contained falsehoods and misinformation. And uh, but it would be interesting for us to maybe look at one of these projects and and go step by step what exactly happened. Uh, they well, have a complaints mechanism as well at the EIB, and I know they have they have tons of fraud officers working mm-hmm. there as well who look at these things. So uh, it'd be interesting to hear that story also from the other side. I yeah, think. I mean, I think the one, for, for example, just to quickly, but the one in Georgia with the dam mm. um, displaced indigenous people, the Svan mm. people. Mm. Um, the government in Georgia doesn't even recognise the existence of these people. Yeah. So did did the EU or the EIB just go with the the government? You know, they're they're. Um, we don't know. We standing. have to we'll so take the NGOs' yeah. word for that. Uh, NGOs are pressure groups, so right. yeah, uh, they I also guess, yeah. yeah but you need ver- to take them with a grain of salt. Well, that's their job to say these things. Uh, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. But it was an interesting article. So that is in the Lux Times. If people just want to ha- uh, head yes. there, just for for a number of reasons, an interesting article. I think we're about out of time, um, but. Um, thank you so much. A lot going it on, obviously. Uh, the yes, the financial side and the. And uh, you know these 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 stories are interesting. It's kind of interesting to hear how how you you deal with them. In something like that, would you then phone the EIB and ask for a reaction on that report? Oh yes. Uh-huh. And how <laughs> responsive are they then? Uh, EIB is very responsive. Cool. Yes, absolutely. I can say that. No, okay. we have very strict rules for that. Whenever we write something about somebody who is that and that may be perceived as controversial, right. we always give them a call and ask them for their reaction uh-huh. and. Uh, and uh, and give them a chance to react. I wonder if your number flashes up and they're like, oh no, here he comes again. That's quite <laughs> fun. Um, Dowie, thank you. It's always a pleasure to have you. Possibly see you back next week because I'm not sure when Sam's back. Are you here next week? or is It will be Emery. Okay, week. cool. Um, one way or the other, see you soon. See you soon, Lisa. You have a nice weekend. You too.